You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning, good morning. Okay, guys, what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to open up with a scripture. And uh, I'll, just, I'll just read it and then we'll go from there. Can you guys stand? And it's actually not going to be up on the screen today. I want you to just listen and you can close your eyes if you need to and just see it. We've been spending time the last few weeks in uh, Genesis 1 and 3 mainly. And now we're fast forwarding all the way to the end of the book. And this is uh, Revelation 21 and from 22, a few verses, okay? Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing down from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. God's word. You can have a seat. I read that to you today because uh, the concept we're working with today, it's vast. I, uh, I was like, I don't know even where to go with this because it's all throughout the Bible. And we've been spending the last few weeks talking about this idea, the gospel of the kingdom. It's this idea that Jesus talks about. He's recorded 114 times referring to it in the gospels. And, uh, and it speaks of the good news of a new kingdom. The good news of, of a kingdom that makes life better. That's the idea of this word gospel, it's the announcement of good news. This fly is bugging me. Did you guys see it? Okay, yeah. Super distracting, I imagine. Especially when it lands on your head. Uh, but this, this concept we've been looking at, we've been breaking it down into three parts. Creation, fall, and restoration. And what we just read is the picture near the end of the book that speaks of that restoration, what it's going to look like in the age to come. Charlotte made this reference during our transition that we as the church, we rehearse that age to come in many of the things we do. And um, 
just wanted us to see that picture in our mind as we, as we think about what God is doing in this work of restoration. But as way of review, we're just going to go over a bit of what we did the last few weeks in case you weren't here. Two weeks ago, we talked about the very good creation that God made. And that in this very good creation, he put people as bearers of his, his image, right? And he made us, it says, to rule and reign. We were actually called by God as people to join him in his rule and reign on the earth. To actually be a part of cultivating life and beauty in the earth. He planted a garden and then he planted people in it. And he invited them to join him in the cultivating of more goodness in the earth. That was the picture. That's the image. But what we saw last week is that instead of producing life and beauty we end up producing death and destruction. How? Through choosing our own way, our own definitions of good and evil versus submitting to his wisdom. Are you with me? And so in this idea that we have in the gospel of the kingdom that we call the fall, it's really this picture of that we rejected God and we rejected his wisdom and we rejected his ways. And the Bible says that if we did that, we would certainly die. But we looked last week at the the original Hebrew for that phrase, certainly die or surely die, was, anybody remember it? Die, die. In the Hebrew, it's this double on the verb. It's die, die. And we talked about there being these layers of death, these dimensions to death. And it's about this dehumanization, us not being what we were created to be. And what I want us to catch just before we launch into this idea of restoration today is is the tragedy of sin is in that it falls short of this beautiful design that God created us for. In other words, it's without this idea of beautiful design, of goodness that he made, we really don't have a concept of falling short of sin. And what happened is we forfeit the wisdom of God, and in so doing, choosing our own way, we reject him. We don't see the beauty on offer. And I I want us to catch this idea of, of sin and the fall. It's not just mistakes, but the Bible actually categorizes it as rebellion. It calls us enemies of God. Okay? We reject God and we prefer ourselves and our own wisdom. And we we fail to fulfill our role in the earth, right? Like I said, called to cultivate life and beauty. And yet from our lives, we produce death and destruction. And I want us to catch, like, really, the gospel is built on this idea. Very good creation, very big mess made up by humans. And that big mess is because of the significance, the capacity with which we were created, right, for good. Because that capacity to rule and reign, as it goes with humanity, so it goes with the world. But we left off with hope last week, and it was hope in these words, Genesis 3.15, where God is speaking to the serpent who deceived Adam and Eve. He says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
And there's this hope, this idea that evil itself would be destroyed. But it would be destroyed by one who would allow themselves to be harmed by it, to suffer. That, that rather than preserve themselves, they give of themselves, they sacrifice. And you would imagine as an original reader, you're wondering, who is this? Who's this going to be? And the Bible catalogs this whole history of a people that God calls out to, to, to show his ways through them, right? He comes to a people, he makes a nation, but it catalogs stories of obedience and failure. Nobody ever hits the mark. You know, you, you may wonder, who, who's this one going to be? Is it Abraham? Is it Moses? Is it David? Is it Elijah? And then onto the scene comes Jesus. Onto the scene comes Jesus, and we have this story early in the Gospels. Jesus is baptized in Matthew 3, and when he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and words from heaven are spoken over him. What are the words? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. There's an announcement made over his life. And the very thing that we see happen when Jesus has this proclamation made over his life, the very next scene in Matthew 4 is he goes into the wilderness. It says, to be tempted by the devil. Jesus goes into the wilderness and endures a very similar temptation to that of Adam and Eve. But the outcome's completely different. The, the opening words of Satan's temptation to Jesus is, anybody know it? If you are the son of God. And so what we saw last week was that Satan comes to Eve and says, did God really say? Right? He causes her to question. He causes her to question whether God's really good. He causes her to question whether or not God is actually holding out on them. Jesus just heard the Father speak over him, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the first words of the devil are, if you are the son of God, right? Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus had this understanding that, that it's God's word that sustains him. And we can see that as the story goes on through the further temptations. But the idea is, is that Jesus went into this time of testing just like the original people did, but he passed. He came through walking in obedience with the Father. And he comes out from this temptation. He comes out from this obedience. And it says that he began going about preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's this moment where he comes and now he's announcing this kingdom. This is the idea we've been looking at these last few weeks. But he opens it up with this statement, repent. Jesus, I want us to catch this big, big idea. The original Adam disobeyed God. Jesus obeyed. And in his obedience, he went around cultivating the life and beauty that we were made to cultivate. His life had 
it was like this, this force of life flowed from the life of Jesus. In the very next verses, it tells us that he went around preaching the kingdom of God, healing the sick, casting out demons. There is this force, this power on the life of Jesus that was very real. It was this idea that the age to come was breaking into the here and now through his life. This is the work of the kingdom. And guys, he still does it today. He still does it today. I couldn't see the hands when Charlotte was asking the question, how many of you did get out to those meetings this week? Awesome. Uh, Friday night, while Jonathan was preaching, he just began to speak out some impressions he was getting from the Lord of things that people were going to be healed of. And throughout the room, just through spoken word, someone testified of eczema leaving their body. Someone testified of carpal tunnel leaving their hands. Two people had stiff shoulders start to move. Two people had, one was a left ear, one was a right ear. Two different people, deaf, start to hear. Here in Victoria, Friday night, he still does it. I I had the honor of traveling with Jonathan years ago, and in some of these trips, guys, we saw a man in 2007 who had been in a wheelchair for 30 years get up and start to walk. And his wife was right there beside us, weeping as he walked, because she had bathed him all those years. I have on a DVD somewhere in a very messy storage room, uh, a video of a nine-year-old girl in Uganda getting up and walking for the first time in her life, and the whole place goes electric with celebration And I remember that night, it was the best example I could tell you of where the power of God was present to heal. Every single person that I recall praying for that night got healed. Saw deaf ears open. We saw a mute who hadn't spoken in 33 years start to speak for the first time. It was powerful. And I tell you these things just to say, like, this is the image of the kingdom of God touching here and now. That is what happened through the life of Jesus. And it happens through alignment with heaven. But this this life of Jesus, it was a life marked by perfect obedience and goodness, even to the point of death. In other words, Jesus lived in such a way where he was so committed to obedience to his Father, so committed to, to... to blessing versus cursing, so committed to repaying evil with good that he allowed the violence, the death, and the destruction that had entered into the world through sin to take his very life. That's the picture of that heel being bruised by the bite of a serpent. That Jesus subjected himself to the the death and destruction itself. Rather than self-preservation Jesus was marked by self-giving love, self-sacrifice. And that goodness that was upon his life, it was, in a sense, you'd say, vindicated by his resurrection. And this is, this is the message. If I could summarize this whole idea we've been talking about these last few weeks, this gospel of the kingdom, it's three words. Jesus is king. That's it. Like, it's, it's just Jesus is king. But for... for You know, if you actually immerse yourself in the scriptures, you will see layers upon layers upon layers. There's sermon after sermon. There's idea after idea what that actually means and the implications of it. But the simple gospel is this. Jesus is king. 
Can we just say that together this morning? Jesus is king. Sounds good. Can we do it again? Jesus is king. If you can get familiar with that phrase being on your lips, there's power in it. There's power in the name of Jesus. This is the message that turned the world upside down. It's good news that Jesus is king. But because Jesus is king, it actually calls us into a whole new way of life. What was the first word of Jesus' message after he came out of that wilderness temptation? Anybody remember it? We said it a few minutes ago. Repent. Repent. There's a change required. There's a new way of thinking required. There's a new perspective, a new paradigm. Jesus is king, completely turned the kingdoms of this world on their head. You used to get ahead by climbing the ladder and putting others down. Jesus says, no, you get ahead by going low and serving others, even to the point of death itself. But when we say this term, like Jesus is king, I want us to catch a couple words that the New Testament often uses to describe Jesus. And they would be these, Savior and Lord. Savior and Lord. He saved us in that he gave his innocent life for the sins of our guilty life. He died the death that we deserve to die. That is the message of the cross. The message of the kingdom is that the king who had every right and reason to come on the scene and judge said, no, I'll take the penalty for you. That's good news. That's very, very good news. Romans 5.8 says it this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us goes on and says that while we were still enemies of God, two verses later, while we were his enemies, he died for us. That's good news. And, and I work at the beginning here to talk about like the seriousness of sin, the tragedy of it, because I think that oftentimes in our modern culture, all we hear is like about how great we are and you just need to express yourself and be the full you. It's like, no, there is a message in the scriptures that speaks to Profound sin in our lives, but also a profound destiny, a profound design. And yet we rejected that. We became sinners. And while we were his enemies, he gave his life for us. Guys, it's good news. It's very, very good news. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin so that you may become the righteousness of God. That's good news. That's very, very good news. But the idea is this that I want us to catch when we think about the gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell. He came to save us from sin. There's a difference. Okay? There, there's this idea, yeah, that he saves us from the consequence of sin. He forgives us, but the gospel of the kingdom is actually that he saves us from sin. He delivers us out of those patterns, those way, ways of living. And I would say it to you this way, again, using the word Savior and Lord, is that Jesus can't be your Savior unless he's your Lord. Are you with me? Jesus can't be your Savior unless he's your Lord. 
because we're lost in sin. We're lost in darkness. We're blind on our own. And we need a Lord to lead us, to guide us. And the cultural message is don't let anyone tell you what to do. You express yourself. You know, you define you. That's the culture message. Jesus' message is repent. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. There's a whole new way. There's a whole new kingdom. It's not what you grew up with. It's not the way of this world. It's completely different. But it's the perfect image of God. So here's the idea, right? Like we, we're made in his image. We completely rejected our calling and our role. We fell into sin. But onto the scene comes the perfect image of God. And he says, follow me. Follow me in my ways. And so this is, this is the idea of the kingdom is that there is a king and his name is Jesus. And as you follow him, your life aligns to be what it was always intended to be. You become the person that you were made to be. You're translated from being marked by sin to being transformed into the very righteousness of God here on the earth. Are you with me? It's complete transformation. It's a call to live different. just feel to say this I mean there's I feel like sometimes in our world we think that we're going to fix things by pointing out everybody else's sin right <laughs> but the call of King Jesus is to confess and repent from your own sin and there's something that happens as we see who he is and what he's like. And we respond to that call to follow him, to become like him, to leave our ways behind and follow him. That you actually become one through which the change can happen. The change that the world needs starts with the people who own their stuff. And say, forgive me, Father. That same scripture that says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God, is in the context of saying that he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, reconciling the world to God, fixing what's been broken, fixing what's been damaged. But it starts with us owning our stuff, not pointing out everybody else's. Smile. I just feel it's the weight of it here today. But this is the gospel of the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn away and turn un turn away from sin and unto God. How do you turn to God? Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Just keep looking at Jesus. It doesn't actually take you that long. If you want to read through one of the Gospels from start to finish, you can do it in a couple hours. And it's, that's the image of God right there. 
Look at Jesus. And there's this, this, this simple way the New Testament says we're saved is by faith. We look, we look at Jesus. We look at his death and resurrection. We hear what it says it's for, right? It's the penalty paid for our sins that we might live. It's the ultimate goodness of God displayed through the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection. And the way we're saved is we believe it. Isn't it interesting that the way that Adam and Eve were, were deceived was they began to doubt God's goodness. They fell into the mess they did because they doubted God's goodness. And the, and the way into restoration is believe. Believe he's good. How good? Like Jesus good. Like the image of Jesus. That good. Again, I want to say the way to be saved is Jesus be Lord of your life. Jesus is King. And all throughout the Gospels, when Jesus talks about the kingdom, he often refers to the kingdom being like a seed. And I want you to think with me again to the images we've been looking at the last few weeks. What we see is God's creation, right? And we see this garden planted, and he plants the people in it. And the promise is, is that a seed would be at enmity with the devil and would crush his head, and the heel would be bruised, right? That whole part we read. But Jesus often refers to himself Well, once he refers to himself as a seed, and he refers again and again to the kingdom being like seeds. And what we read from Revelation at the beginning is this, the heading over it in my Bible, the part from Revelation 22 is Eden restored. And there's this sense in which Jesus, in his perfect obedience to the Father, like Jesus lived with his Father as Lord of his life. In his perfect obedience to the Father and the goodness that he embodied, his life was like a seed in human history. A seed planted that he said would bear more fruit-bearing, sorry, seed-bearing fruit. That's you and me. That's those who believe. That's those who trust. That's those whose lives are surrendered to King Jesus. His word and his spirit gets planted in you like a seed. And I I think it's so powerful that Jesus uses this image because he, he says in one of those parables, he says that the kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed. It's the smallest of garden seeds, but it grows to be one of the largest trees. And the idea is, is he wants us to realize that your life, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem, when you obey King Jesus, and let his goodness be embodied in and through your life, it is bearing fruit in the world. Where has he planted you? Where does he want to plant you in your obedience to Jesus? Where does he want to plant you in the the goodness of the Father expressed through your life? And I see almost this picture of like the restoration of Eden being this reforesting initiative, planting seeds all around the earth. 
but it happens through alignment with King Jesus. The gospel of the kingdom is about the world being as it should be under the rule and reign of God, but it starts in our hearts. And there's this profound invitation that we are given when he is saying, repent for the kingdom is at hand. It's an invitation back in to who we were created to be, looking and acting like Jesus. And in the same way Jesus could go around and saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because he's there. The kingdom of heaven will be at hand through those whose lives are submitted to the king. Romans 5, Paul says that through one man's obedience, many were made sinners. Or sorry, one man's disobedience. I'm glad nobody had to shout up and be like, I think you got that wrong. Uh, through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Through another man's obedience, many made righteous. Righteousness is rightness. The way things are supposed to be. And Jesus came and lived the obedient, perfect life on our behalf. And He is King over every effect of sin in your life, whether it's fear and anxiety, whether it's depression and hopelessness, whether it's sickness, whether it's demonic oppression, whether it's death itself, Jesus is King over it. That's the message of the kingdom. And it calls us to live different. We as his church, we do this beautiful thing. Talked about it a few weeks ago. I mentioned it already in this message. Charlotte mentioned it. Transition. We rehearse that kingdom. And in our rehearsal of the kingdom, it's expressed here on earth. It actually makes a difference. Can we stand? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to switch up this room. Let's just say it again together. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the perfect king. We thank you for the perfect image of who you are and what you're like that we see in Jesus. Lord, yet again this morning we stand before you and we say we surrender to you. We surrender our hearts and our lives. To look and act more like you, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven through your church in this day. Father, we thank you for uh, the miracles, the salvation, all the things we saw or heard about this week. And we ask for increase. We ask for more. We ask that it would be momentum. We ask to see you move in our city, in our day, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Life Tree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Life Tree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.